Good morning. My name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I want to thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're going to jump into our series in just a minute on, uh, we're talking about words. Before I do that, I just want to stop and give a big thank you uh, for a couple things. Um, it kind of all builds out of last week. Uh, last week, I wasn't on the stage and Pastor Chris was here and got to speak and I just, uh, I love the mornings that I don't have to preach. I love the mornings when I preach too, uh, but I really enjoy the mornings when I'm off uh, because it gives me a perspective of Bethany that I don't get week in and week out. Uh, what I got to do last week, normally I'm confined kind of to this room. You know, we got that 15 minute gap in between, so I'm pretty much here and in this room all morning and a lot of t- time spent up here backstage. Uh, so last week I got to move around the building and got to peek my head in some classrooms and see kids and see children's leaders and got to watch the front door in action and got to uh, take in a number of things all week long or or all morning long. Uh, Also got to have some conversations, love just interacting with people. And as I interacted with people, I ran across uh, a couple people just got to share with me and uh, listen to them. And I continue to hear stories of life change that is happening here at Bethany Grace Fellowship Church. I continue to hear, I heard a story from one um, lady and uh, interacted with her. And uh, she talked about just some really neat things that are taking place. She only been to church about a month. And she talked about her love of our children's ministry. And she talked about what Jesus has been doing in her heart and life. And I uh, talked to another person who talked about our youth ministry and what God is doing there. And, and the impact that's happening. And so I just want to stop because it just humbled me uh, deeply uh, to see that all that takes place and the number of you that serve in multiple capacities um, here on Sunday morning and throughout the week, even though I got to go to a church council meeting on Thursday night, a number of you are making that change possible. So I just cannot thank you enough for that. I also want to say thank you because the last time I was on stage and I stood up here and looked out, this crowd was a lot prettier um, than it is today. They, you had a lot of purple on. Uh, and so that, that morning, uh, those of you who weren't here, it was my birthday two weeks ago, I landed on a Sunday. And so someone had pulled together to get everyone to wear purple. And, um, I'm looking, I still see some of that purple. So I see some of you still love me and, uh, care for me, but it was just neat. It was a neat morning. Uh, it meant a lot to me, but more than what the purple, I got to go home then, and I think I had a stack of cards. It was, it was a stack of cards. And as I opened those cards up, I cannot thank you enough uh, for those cards and the words that you shared. As I read those words, as I internalized those words, it, just, it was a gift that God gave me, uh, that you gave me. So I cannot thank you enough. Some of them made me laugh really hard. Uh, some of them uh, brought tears in my eyes because as you shared some things, it just really humbled me. Uh, so I want to thank you. So that kind of leads us into this morning as we talk about words. Words are a tricky thing, aren't they? Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Chris stood here and talked and I sat right over here and I kind of took that in and I just realized once again, as I wrote notes and, and kind of journaled through some things and man, this is an area that I need to continue to give attention to as I let the overflow of my heart speak. Sometimes it's scary what comes out. Words are, as, as I would say it, probably one of the most powerful tools or weapons, you use either word that I believe the human being you have been given. Uh, Words can bring unbelievable destruction. There are some of you sitting here this morning that have scars, and some of them aren't scabbed and scarred over yet. Some of you are still bleeding from the hurt of a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister or someone that's been close to you that has spoken horrible things to you, and it hurts. It's incredibly powerful. Others of you are sitting here and your heart is full of joy and life and you can line a link it back to words that have been shared with you, whether it's been in a card like I got um, two weeks ago or whether it's someone that consistently spoke into you and talked to you in a way that built life and encouragement. And you're here this morning, you're going, yeah, that's, that's me. Uh, so words are powerful. God, it's interesting, God, when he created this world, A lot of us have this picture of a potter kind of forming some clay, but God didn't use his hands until he got to you and me. God simply spoke. His words were powerful. The other thing I find interesting is when God chooses to to reveal himself to us in the form of a man, in the form of flesh, when he sends Jesus, some of you know the passage in John 1, what does it say? And the word became flesh, the word So when God creates, he used words. When God chooses to reveal himself to us, he uses words. Words are powerful, very, very powerful. Um, 
So it's something we want to give attention to, uh, very strong attention to. If you're, if you're in our reading plan, and some of you have the journal, uh, it is on page 57. So if you want to, I know some of you bring this along, take notes there. I just want to make, mention that, page 57. I want to jump right in where Chris, uh, one of the things Chris talked about last week, and kind of build from that and then take into this week. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 to 15. Now, this is written by a guy named Paul. Paul was, in our day and age, he would have the equivalent of a PhD in religion. He was a brilliant thinker. He had been to school for a lot of years of his life, and he had been trained and schooled in what does the law, the Old Testament religious law, what does it say? So when he says this, there's something kind of shocking about this. And Chris talked about this point last week. Um, it says this, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour, he adds, each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by it. In other words, Chris said last week, it's not just your relationship's going to go bad. You are going to go bad. You're going to have a lot of pain. There's going to be dysfunction and heartache. But the thing that's interesting to me, when Jesus was on earth and the religious leaders like Paul, who had the PhDs in religion, would come and question Jesus. And they'd say to Jesus regularly, okay, Jesus, if you really are such an expert in law, what's the greatest command? How do you answer? Some of you know this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself is the second So when here this religious leader, PhD-level guy, comes along and says the law is fulfilled with the second command? I think Chris did a beautiful job explaining this last week. Do you know why he does this? See, you can sit here this morning, and you can go home this afternoon, and you can tell everyone around you you love God. But the reality is you will not see God until the moment you die. You've never seen him. It's easy to tell people you love someone. It's easy for me to say I love my wife if I never interact with her. It's easy to say I love my kids if I never interact with them. That's easy, right? Well, yeah, I love my kids. Someone else lives with them and takes care of them, but I love them. But that love is put to the test when I live and interact with them. So God says, listen, if you love God, the natural outgrowth is love of people. So let's not get hung up on the first one. Let's really measure it by the second one. It's fulfilled by love of people. So do I love people? So when we think about words and the way that I speak, I'm focused on people. This tool that God's given me called words is a gift that he's given to care for and love you and to love one another. So words are very powerful. Now, let me ask a question to get us started with this morning. Then That's last week. Now, here's this morning. How would you define, if I use the term Christian communication, how would you define it? What synonyms would you add to it? What words would you say, okay, Christian communication is blank, or I would define it as, what words would you use? What I find interesting is the way I answer it and the way many do are words like this. I threw a bunch of them up there, and there's probably more you could come up with, Um, but it's typically things like nice. Nice. I'm a nice guy. A lot of us think Christian and nice are like synonyms. You ever thought about that? (laughs) Is it a synonym? Gentle is another one. Meek, mild, agreeable would be another way some of us think of it. Polite, wholesome, uh, kind. Or I would say generally that when I think of Christian communication, I think of the word soft. Just soft. Now, if you turn with me, if you have a Bible, um, uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, please see me afterwards. I would love to put one in your hands. Uh, We uh, go to the Bible week in and week out and really encourage you to do that throughout the week at home. Uh, Or see someone out in the the Welcome Center and they could also give you a Bible. If you're not familiar with your Bible, there's this cool little graph that's kind of laid out here. These are all the books of the Bible. I know you can't read them all. That's cool. We're not really intended to read. You just kind of see the perspective of where you need to kind of go to stick your finger in and kind of open the pages. Um, Ephesians is written by a guy. It's that guy with a PhD I mentioned earlier, Paul. Uh, it lands around these other books. You can see them there. It's written to a city called Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. It's an actually letter written. Uh, he is a guy who hated Christians. This is a summation of his life tried to kill him and every chance he had. And then he became a Christian 
And then he tried to spread the message of Jesus all over the place. He planted churches. Uh, Ephesus is one of the churches that, that he cared deeply about, spent a lot of time with. And then he wrote a letter um, to them. And that's what we have in Ephesians. But when we think of Christian communication, we think of verses like Ephesians 5 verse 4. It reads this. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now, if you would continue reading that, he actually gets pretty direct. He says, actually, if this stuff's a part of your life, you're not even going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're like, whoa, this is, this is big stuff. Now, if you back up, there's another verse there, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So when we think about this word Christian communication, that's what we think of, wholesome, uh, not coarse, no potty in our, in our house. I've got little boys, so we talk about potty talk a lot, uh, trying to get the potty talk out. So you know, you know, let's not talk potty talk. Or, and, we, and we think about that. The thing that's interesting to me, this very same author has verses like this. Why don't these agitators, and this is the message, it's, it's kind of a paraphrased version, but it really hits the message of this verse well. Why don't these agitators, obsessive as they are about circumcision, go all the way and castrate themselves? You're like, whoa. Some of you are chuckling. It's okay to chuckle because what he's using is sarcasm. Now, see, Pastor Chris talked last week about sarcasm and how when we use sarcasm, it makes the other person feel stupid. There is an appropriate time to use sarcasm. You know, generally, most of us don't use it in the appropriate manner. And that's why what Pastor Chris said last week was on the money, and it really challenged me. But there is an appropriate time to use it. And here the author, writer, Paul, who just said, no coarse joking should come out of your mouth, says, hey, these guys that are running around and teaching you to obey the law, I wish they'd just hack it off. Well, that's not really uh, gentle and nice. Here's another one. Let me show you another one. Same guy, same writer. Again, I'm using um, the message because he, this is, out of all the English translations or paraphrases, Eugene Peterson hits this word better than anyone else. And he, even he still goes a little soft on it. It says this, because of Christ, yes, all these things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. It's dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. That word right there that that Eugene puts as dog dung is the closest. Some of you in your English Bibles will see the word rubbish. Some of you see the word trash. It's really not translated well. This word only shows up in our New Testament, Greek New Testament, one time. So you, if, if you know anything about translations, what they generally do is they'll go to that author and say, well, how else does he use the word? Well, he doesn't, Paul doesn't use it anywhere else. So what they do is they go to the other writings of the first century, Greek writings, and they say, well, how is it used there? What is its meaning? And in all places, it, it is a, a curse word in the Greek language. In other words, what it should read in our English Bibles is somewhere between the word crap and S-H, and you can put the other letters in there. So what it should be. I would love to see an English Bible really translate what it's supposed to say. But it's like, so he uses a word. It's not real gentle. Some of us would put in potty talk category. I would at my house. I don't want my kids running around and saying something. I mean, it's so it's like, well, no, wait a minute. Here's another one. This isn't the same guy, but this is earlier in the Bible. This is a prophet of God speaking the words of God. He says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sin sweeps us away like the wind. Powerful verse. He's writing and talking about some of us really just look at our good deeds as meriting us a relationship with God. And he's saying, listen, God's not impressed. And then he uses this word, filthy rags, in the Hebrew. Go to your Hebrew commentaries and what they, that word is used in the Hebrew culture in our English word would be a menstrual rag or used tampon. That's sick. Yeah, I hear it. Some of you. Way to go. Whoever said that. Ew, that's nasty. It is nasty, isn't it? And if you go back to Paul and think, well, isn't that coarse joking? Isn't that unwholesome? It is unwholesome, but so is the behavior. So we're going to start talking about this. No, wait a minute. So, so what is Christian communication? 
One more that we aren't going to read, but I want to mention Jesus in one speech in Matthew 23. It's not in our reading plan this week, but if you want to read it, go ahead and write it down. Matthew 23, verses 30. Or it's, it's 23 and kind of that whole chapter. He gets together with religious leaders. And here, I just want to read you some of the words. In one speech, he stands up and he says this to him. He says, you're hypocrites. In one place in that speech, he looks at him and says, when you gain a disciple to follow you, you make that disciple twice the sons of hell that you are. Could you imagine telling someone today they're a son or daughter of hell? I mean, that is bold, strong, sharp language. He calls them blind guides. He calls them another place blind fools. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not real favorable of someone calling me a fool. I mean, that's a pretty strong word. He call, in, in their language and in our language, he calls them whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. There's a real compliment, isn't it? You're walking around dead inside. At one point, he says, you killed the prophets. The people who have come before you, you've killed them. You're guilty of murder. He calls them snakes. He calls them broods of vipers. Has anyone ever called you a snake? We don't look at that as a real good compliment. Now, in that very same speech, okay, so he's, he's on stage and he's just letting them have it. In the very same speech, comes some famous words that most of you, I'm going to guess, have heard, and we generally hear them on Mother's Day. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, a term of endearment. Anytime you repeat yourself, it's like, I'm for you. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Have you ever heard that verse? On Mother's Day, you've probably heard it. You're like, What? Jesus, you just ripped these guys apart. You just completely, from beginning to end, dismantled them and called them some horrible names. And then you look at them, and all the people gathered and say, how I've longed to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. Wow. Here's what we're going after this morning. Romans 11, I think, captures it well. Talks about God's communication. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Some of us say, well, how does that work together? See, see if you relate to this. I'm one of these thinkers that would like you just to make it black and white. I hate tension. I want to get rid of tension at all possible turns. So I would like you just to give me a nice simple rule for me to follow. Any of you relate to that? I mean, it's like God, doesn't, God says kindness and sternness can coexist. It's beautiful. He says, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Sorry, we're going to get too much into the continuing theme. Everyone just want to look at the kindness and the sternness. If you're still in Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 29 again. There's a clue here that I think is powerful for us to help us in how we use our tongue. When we read this verse, we've had our kids memorize this verse. We use this verse regularly in our home. I use this verse to challenge me. I use this verse to challenge my wife. Just kidding. <laughs> Don't take that seriously. That's a total joke. Um, but we use it in our home a lot. We use it in our home a whole lot. And, and there's a lot of things to pull out of this verse. This is a rich verse. It's probably one of the hardest lived verses, I think, in the New Testament. But look at what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now, we could stop there and focus on that phrase and have a whole message on that. Okay, and some of us need to hear that. Let's keep reading, though. But only what is helpful for building others up. Well, we could stop there and have a whole message on that. I should only speak what builds you up. This next phrase, though, is the one that I personally want to capture this morning. According to their what? Needs. Now, if you continue reading, according to the needs, that it may benefit those who listen. When it comes to Christian, if you want to call it that, communication, I think one of the most important rules, after Chris's talk about last week, flowing from the heart. Okay, so I've done my heart work, and now I want to start talking to people. Okay, what do I intend to do? And the word who is crucial. According to their needs. Before I speak, it's important to ask, who am I talking to? I do this regularly. 
When I work on my messages on Sunday, I will whiteboard. I, I will think of some of you by name, and I'll put, I won't necessarily put your name on the board, but I put kind of, okay, I know there are people here that are unchurched. I know there's some people that come here that, that have been here for 50 years and love Jesus. I know there are people here who are between the ages of 13 and 18, and generally here's what they're doing. And I, I always ask, who are we speaking to? In personal relationships, I think it's same to the same thing. Who am I speaking to? What is their need? And based on who I'm talking to, we'll come back to then, are my words tough or are they tender? Now, let's talk about what I want to spend the rest of our time doing is make this practical as we can by looking at giving us some tools to determine who, who I'm talking to. We're going to borrow this, some of this, uh, where my thoughts begin and, 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 and his pick up. Um, I'm not 100% sure. Chris and I worked hard at kind of laying this out, and we borrowed some of the thought from a guy by the name of Mark Driscoll. He's a pastor out in Seattle. In 2008, he came into a guy by the name of John Piper. Some of you know that name. Um, John Piper uh, has a conference at his church. Mark Driscoll came in and spoke at that conference in 2008. And the whole conference was on words. The whole conference has been captured in a little book. If you'd like that book, let me know this week and I can recommend it. It's it's a decent little book. Uh, But in that, in Mark's speech, he kind of captures on on a vein of this thought. And he kind of helps people kind of break okay, who am I talking to by defining them as animals? So we're going to look at some animals this morning. I want to give Mark credit where his thoughts end and mine begin. I'm not, when I do quote him directly, I will give credit to him. So animals, we're going to talk about animals. You ever been described as an animal, some of you? We used to have this exercise in college where we had to go around and um, the professor wanted us to, to say what kind of animal he looked like and then he wanted us to describe us as an animal and the people in the class as an animal. For some reason... I was always described as a bear. Do I look like a bear? Is that the animal you'd put me to? My wife would often, I didn't ask her to share this, but every now and then she gets someone to describe her as a giraffe. Now, I'm not quite sure about that. So, and a horse, I think. There's the other, anyway, but all that to say, you put a, a, a horse and a bear together, you get kind of, I'm not sure what our kids are going to turn out to be. I feel very bad for them. But anyway, we're going to talk about some animals uh, this morning, and we're going, to, so we're going to use it to describe, okay, who am I talking to? And that's going to determine then, because according to their needs, so who am I talking to? The first animal, and the Bible talks about this animal more than any other animal. It's a sheep. Now, a sheep, I want to, I want to kind of help you understand what a sheep is, what the Bible describes a sheep as, and how he relates us to sheep. Uh, but the simple way to say it is, if I'm talking to sheep... If I determine the person I'm talking to is a sheep, the goal is to feed them, nourish them, encourage them. Now, John 10, 40, John 10 verses 4 and 5 are probably the verses that, again, this is all over the Bible, but I want to just, uh, sheep are kind of described as God's people. Sheep are described as people who believe in Jesus. There's all kinds of, but here's one verse that would kind of link people and sheep. When he is brought, I was referring to Jesus, when he has brought out all his own, He goes on ahead of them and his sheep, talking about people, follow him because they, what? Say it together. They know his voice. So they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So the best way to define a sheep from this verse and many others in the scriptures like it, a sheep knows Jesus's voice and responds to it. Okay, so the important thing is then, if I'm talking to a sheep, I need to use tender words, not tough words. Matter of fact, I would suggest, if you're still there in Ephesians, verse 32. If I've determined I'm speaking to a sheep, okay, so the person I'm engaged with, my child, my husband, my wife, my coworker, my classmate, my whoever it might be, if I, if I determine they're a sheep, they're someone who hears Jesus and responds to Jesus, tries to obey Jesus, then I would suggest verse 32, be kind and compassionate. And look what this says to who? One another. In other words, like-minded, other sheep. So this is talking about Christian people. This isn't talking about people who aren't Christians. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Now, this is another very important thing. Forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Sheep still sin. Can I stress this enough? Because some of us might determine, well, they say they're a sheep, but look at how they're living. 
Guess what? Sheep still blow it. You still blow it. You're still going to make mistakes. What you're looking for is when they make mistakes, do they stick their head in the sand and ignore it? Do they say it's no big deal? How do they handle their mistake? And learn to forgive one another. So sheep still sin. But generally a sheep is someone who hears Jesus and responds. If, if you walk in my office this afternoon or this week, uh, something will probably jump out at you quick. And I, this, just about anyone that's come into my office generally before they leave has made a comment on this. There are sheep everywhere all over my office. I'm not real sheep. I'd like real sheep someday, but I'm not sure what Ruthie and Larry and those who clean up here at the building would think about real sheep in my office. But anyway, there's sheep all over the place. Pictures of sheep, little figurines of sheep. Uh, this year, someone gave me a salt and pepper sheep. And so there's a black sheep and a white sheep, and they're sitting there together. There's all kinds of sheep. Uh, and the reason I have sheep there is because in the Bible, a, sh- a pastor is often called a shepherd. The, the word pastor and shepherd actually are basically one and the same word. And when I was in college, I began to realize there is this stigma around shepherds. If you were just asked to describe shepherd... How would most of you describe what a shepherd is to do, referring to a pastor? Most of us, when we hear the word shepherd, we think, sit with the elderly, go to the hospital, lots of meals in their home, hospitable, warm, caring, nurturing, all these terms. In other words, a really nice guy. I think I'm a nice guy, but a lot of those words don't always fit me. But what I learned, a true first century shepherd was not just a nice guy. A first century shepherd killed animals, took lions on, beat back wolves and dogs. He carried a rod, which would have been a modern day gun. And he took things on aggressively. He was a tough dude. He also had to lead. A shepherd was able to lead. And a lot of times our modern definitions of shepherd just removes the word leadership altogether. So the professor to help us as that's why I keep sheep there to constantly remind me I'm a shepherd. Here's what it, but he had us write a paper knowing that we're called sheep. He said, I want you to put in, it had to be a 20 to 30 page, really intense research paper. And he said, I don't want you going to the Bible to talk about what a shepherd go to the first century writings. And how was a shepherd described in the first century? How were sheep described in the first century? Because as they're writing the Bible, they're linking the thoughts. So, un, so it was a, it was a impact. And this is why she, here's some of the things I've learned. I want to share some with you. I dug them out of my research. And they've always just kind of stuck in my heart. The first thing is with sheep, sheep are not dumb. I got to stress this enough. Have you ever heard someone say, God calls you sheep? That means you're dumb. No, <laughs> I'd kind of take offense to that actually. Sheep aren't dumb, but the difference between a sheep and let's say a deer, which some of you run around and hunt in the fall, a deer has an ability to have, has this natural instinct to find water. A sheep cannot do that. A sheep is dependent upon a shepherd. A sheep must be led. So a sheep, if you would take this huge, gigantic piece of land and drop a sheep square in the middle and off way in the corner is a thing of water, a deer could naturally kind of find his way to the water. A sheep, if he stumbles across the water, it's just flat, dumb luck. Now, the thing I learned about a sheep is I, as I process this, if you ever read Psalm 23, the shepherd leads the sheep by still water. Still water is very important. If a sheep in the first century would get up along, a, a, you know, in the Middle East, you have a lot of these bubbling brooks and splashes and water coming up. A sheep would come up and begin to drink the bubbling water. And he's this, you know, they're big chubby dudes, you know, with all that. They're actually kind of skinny until you get everything cut off of them. But this big round thing with these little skinny legs and he's sitting there drinking, the water's splashing, his wool gets wet. You ever had a wool sweater get wet? It's kind of heavy, isn't it? So all this weight, the sheep starts to lean and guess what happens to the sheep? Into the water he goes and he drowns if the shepherd doesn't get him out. The other thing I found interesting is I studied again, this is first century shepherd. The other thing I found interesting is a sheep that would wander away from the shepherd. You ever seen those cute little pictures where the shepherd's carrying the sheep on his shoulder? And we're all like, oh, isn't that so cute? We put them on greeting cards and we have them hang. I didn't have a picture of it hanging on my wall in my office because of this. Do you know what really happened there? The sheep that wanders away consistently, the shepherd takes his rod or his staff and injures the sheep. Sometimes to the point of breaking its leg. And then he picks him up and puts him on his shoulder. 
to say, I'm going to let you heal, and I want you to learn dependence upon me. That's a cool picture, isn't it? So next time you see that shepherd walk around with a sheep on his shoulder, you, that was a naughty sheep. And you're going to realize, hey, I mean, that's... Or next time someone gives you a greeting card with a sheep on his shoulder, you mean he, they might have a secret message there for you. <laughs> the other things I learned was a sheep, and this is... Well, even I talk to people that handle sheep today. This is very true. Um, when a sheep falls over, they sometimes they'll end up on their back, and they can't get themselves... I mean, because you look at them. I mean, God was... had a in sense of humor, he made this animal. These skinny little legs and his big body. And then you get all this wool. I mean, he's like a little puffball and these little toothpicks. Well, he falls over. If you've ever seen the kids in the room, the younger will understand this. Have you ever seen Dave in a giant pickle, Veggie Tales? What does little Dave, what, does, what is little Dave's job? He's got to pick the sheep up, right? He's got to walk. I remember they keep pushing the sheep over. He's got to go around and pick the sheep up. What's well, very important to pick a sheep up because when a sheep ends up upside down, these gases form and the sheep dies. So you don't get the sheep turned right. You're like, wow. But here's the one that, here's the one that ties in this morning. It really, really touched me. John 10, 40, John 10 verses four and five talk about the sheep knowing the shepherd's voice. Sheep in the first century, you didn't have the pens. Like today, you know, you drive down 897 and right there, you get that feed mill. You, some of you know where I'm at and they always have sheep there and they just kind of wander around and do their thing. In the first century, a shepherd had to, I mean, there was no pens. It's not quite how they had it back then. And the sheep learned the shepherd's voice. And he only learned it when it was gentle and calm. Shepherds or hired hands, it generally was, who spoke nasty and harsh to the sheep, the sheep didn't listen. And there were reported cases that I came across written in the first century, would have been Latin and Greek and some other things. There were reported cases of sheep being known to die, physically die, from a hired hand speaking harsh to a sheep. I'm like, wow. They're tender little creatures. And so what I learned is when you're dealing with sheep, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, is so important. Kind, compassionate, forgiving. So when you determine and you say, okay, I'm going to speak to my wife, is your wife a sheep? Some are going, no, not at all. Does she claim to follow Jesus? Does she make an attempt? Does she have a desire? Then she's a sheep, kind, gentle, compassionate, tender. Why do you speak to your husbands? Speak to your friends at school, your coworkers. Ask the question, am I talking to a sheep? And if I am, let's be gentle and kind as the need. The verse says need. Ephesians 4.29 what is the need? Now, there's another animal in the Bible. Mark Driscoll talks about this animal. It's a pig. A pig is not a very, if you're called a pig, even today's world. I mean, this isn't just Bible world. This is today's world. A pig, if someone calls you a pig, you're like, oh, thank you. I'm really glad you called me that. I mean, it's a derogatory term. Now, I don't have time to go into all the passages that, that link animals and pigs, again, all that. So I just, for sake of time, I have to kind of dwindle this down. And here's how I want to just kind of talk about a pig. In the Bible, when you're called, when you deal with pigs, you're to rebuke them. This isn't, you don't treat them like you do a sheep. And when you're dealing with a pig, here's kind of the definition of a pig. A swine is someone, when you look at it in the Bible and you look at people who are called pigs, they're generally someone who would know God or at least claim to know God, but they live contrary to God's word. So is there a pig, if you have a pig in your life, there's someone who says, yeah, I know God, I'm a Christian, but you watch them live and you say, no, no, are you serious? They're a pig. And with pigs, the Bible talks about some pretty tough words. For instance, let me give you two of them. And there's many, many. I think I, I came this week in my study notes. I had to whittle this down. There were like 30 verses I could have picked to show you about rebuking people who claim to be followers of God and, and don't live like it. So I picked two of them. I think it'll kind of make the point. First Timothy 5.20 talks to spiritual leaders, elders in a church. But those elders who are sinning, they claim to follow God. They claim to lead the church, but their lives are characterized as sin. They're either having an affair. They're stealing money from the church. They're, they're consistently caught up in porn and they're not repentant. They're whatever the list might be. An elder who has seen reprove or rebuke, some translations say, before who? 
Don't miss this. This is why I'm showing you this verse. So that others may take warning. How I handle a pig goes a long way to caring for the sheep. Very important. If I am gentle to a pig, I actually injure the sheep. And I think that'll come out till we're done. Here's another verse. Let me show you another one. Written to a young pastor who ministered in an area called Crete. If you look at a map, it's kind of an island down uh, south of, way south of Italy. You'll, you'll see Crete. Um, if you pull out even a modern-day map today, you'll kind of see that island down there. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them, what? Sharply. Don't pussyfoot around. Hit them square in the eyes. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. Now, let me give you some tools on how to do this. And this is, again, going to really push back on our Christian ideas of communication. Amos 4, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Some of your translations, go home and read it this this week, say, you fat cows. Now, let's hear the giggles. It's like, could you imagine a pastor sitting on stage today and looking out at the women of the church and saying, you guys are a bunch of fat cows. It's going to get your attention, right? I mean, you look at this, you say, well, that's not real wholesome. That's kind of, that's not real kind and gentle, but they're pigs. And with pigs, sometimes you've got to use some filthy language to get it into their ears. Here's another one. Ezekiel chapter 16. Again, a prophet of God speaking to people who were pigs. Who, people who were claiming to be God's people, but they lived in any way but, it, but being God's people. At the head of every street, you built your lofty place and made your beauty an abomination. Offering yourself to any passerby and multiplying your whoring. You also played the whore with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, multiplying your whoring to provoke to anger. Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you and diminished your allotted portion and delivered you to the greed of your enemies. The daughters of the Philistines, look at this, who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. Here are people who were not God's people, not even claiming to follow God, looking in at people claiming to follow God, and those people were saying, that's sick. They were pigs. And I think it's interesting, God uses multiple times, you're a whore. It's a hard, hard word. Even in our culture today, it's a hard word. See, in our culture today, instead of using the word whore, we might use the word partner. I'm amazed at the number of people I'll talk to who are living together outside of marriage and having sex. Outside of marriage. And they call the person they're with their partner. No, you're a whore. If you claim to follow God and you're willfully saying, I'm going to get in bed with this person, it's not my spouse. It's not a partner. It's not a lover. It's not a friend. You're whoring. You say, well, that's kind of tough, Adam. Now, please hear me. I'm talking to people who claim to be followers of God. If you're here this morning, you're not a follower of God, plug your ears. The main issue I'd encourage you to deal with is who's Jesus. But the Bible uses some tough words for some tough things. Because the issue is repentance. The issue is warning the sheep. The issue is saying this is not acceptable. I want to show you one more. I'm going to let you read this one because honestly, if I read it out loud, I practiced this all week long. And every time I read it, I stumbled through the words and got a little red face. So I'm just going to let you read this one and we'll go from, if you don't want your kids to read it, put them over their eyes, put your hands over their eyes right now. Give you a little warning. think of that? Some of you have a little smile on your face right now because you're going, wow, that's interesting. That's sick, isn't it? 
But keep in mind, they're not talking to sheep. He's talking to pigs. And God clearly identified, who am I speaking to? Again, it's what I want to come back to. You sh- this, shouldn't, this should not characterize your everyday speech. Please hear me. I am not. Some of you here need to be challenged with your everyday. Some of you here have very crude, lewd, and rude speech on a daily basis. So don't walk out here saying, oh, Adam says it's okay to talk crude and rude and lewd. No, 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 no. Some of you need to walk out of here and repent of that crude, rude, coarse joking. This is God is looking at pigs He understands their need and where they're at. He knows who he's talking to, and he chooses words very carefully to shock them and say, listen, this is sick. Come to repentance. So again, the question comes back to who am I talking to? Who is it? Mark Driscoll, I'll give him credit for this. He says, if we really love the swine, we need to use tough words to ensure they understand how filthy they are so they can bathe in repentance. That was a great quote. I said, yeah. This happens in the book of Proverbs regularly. You know, it talks to wives at one place in the book of Proverbs. And it says, listen, your husband, I'll put this in modern day language. Your husband would go, rather go get his, if you're these quarrelsome, nagging, picking wives. He says, your husband would rather go drag his camping gear and his hunting gear out of the garage and climb up on the roof and live there than live with you under this roof. It's like, whoa, really? Wow. Another place he talks to men, he calls them lazy, he calls them perverted, he calls them foolish. Proverbs 19.24 in a modern kind of way would say this, you're so lazy, you're so lazy, you're too lazy to even make an effort to get the slice of delivery pizza from the box to your mouth. In other words, you couldn't even make the pizza, you ordered it. Then you're so lazy, you were too lazy to even go get it from the box and go eat it. You're lazy. It uses very colorful language to hit them between the eyes and say, you guys are pigs. Bathe in repentance. Now, the next animal that we're going to combine, Mark Driscoll actually kind of separated them, and we're going to put them together. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these animals simply because my opinion of Scripture, these animals are usually dealt with by the shepherd. I find very few passages in Scripture where these animals are handled by the sheep. Typically, the shepherd is taking care of these animals. So that's why I don't want to spend a lot of time on. I'm not going to, I just want to, but I do want to mention it because there, there are some other animals out there. Um, and there, some of you might be here would be, I hope not, but it could be, um, it could be a dog or a wolf. Now with a dog or a wolf, the shepherd carried a rod. <laughs> I would encourage you to use the rod. Today's analogy would be the law, the government. Romans 13 says the law is the rod. Use it, use it well, beat them back. The shepherd would kill wolves. Now, the difference between a wolf and a dog is kind of interesting. A dog, he barked at God's people in an effort to control them, manipulate them, use them, and to terrify them. Oftentimes, a dog, and you'll see some people like this. Some of you can identify some people like this. They can be full of threats. They can demand. They're full of false teachings. They're full of relational manipulation. They've got emotional control. They're pushy. They're rude. They've got full of unfounded criticism. Wolves... And and typically their bark is worse than their bite. They're just there to intimidate. A wolf, though, is there to eat, to have a dinner. Okay, so the dog is there to just kind of intimidate. The wolf is there to say, wow, yummy. I'd like to have lamb chops uh, tonight for dinner. So it's very different kind of, that's kind of how you separate in scripture. When you see these two animals, sometimes they're used interchangeably. And then other times scripture kind of pulls them apart and makes a clear distinction that the wolves are there to do Damage. Now, let me show you one verse um, among many that would how, how you deal with a person like this. Timothy, my son, this is again an older pastor written to a younger pastor. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Among them, and he gives some ugly names for some ugly behavior, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blast me. Now, that is some strong, aggressive moves towards people. And he names them by name for all for us to read for all of human history. There's another verse in Titus 3 that says, A person who is divisive, warn him once, warn him twice, and the third time, get rid of him. Have nothing to do with him. Now, again, I've mentioned Romans 13, I think, is the way to do this in today's um, world. I'll say it this way. Martin Luther, I'll quote Martin Luther from, he's the reformer that we stand on his shoulders. Four or 500 years ago, he stood up against the, the then Catholic church and said, listen, the message 
of God is grace, is mercy, and God wants a relationship with you through Jesus, not all your good works. And he said, I want to make sure the Bible is written in German and every so people can read it. And it's not all tied up with the priest. This guy, I mean, he changed human history. He changed not just the church, but he changed human. I mean, so much of our U.S. Constitution and parts of it are influenced by these reformers. These guys touched human history. But he said it this way. With the wolves, you cannot be too severe. With the weak sheep, you cannot be too gentle. Another pastor here, Doug Wilson, from he's a North American pastor. He says it this way. Kindness to sheep is hostility to wolves. Kindness to wolves is hostility to sheep. Remember, I was here at the church. I was, it was within, I'm going to say, my first four months, somewhere in that ballpark. And we began to stand on this stage and talk about, which we're going to talk about this in a few months, actually, the leadership summit that Willow Creek puts on. And we really encourage people to go to this. First year I did that, there was an individual at the church that got really upset because we were going to a Willow Creek-funded and associated event. So myself and an elder went and sat down with this individual. And the individual began to espouse his views on why he did not like Willow Creek. And he kind of boiled it down to he made this statement. He said, you know what? One of the main reasons I don't like Willow Creek is because they support AIDS relief in Africa. I'm like, well, that should be why. That's one of the reasons why we like them. I was, so, I was kind of confused. I was like, what are you? And he said, it's, I am not sending my money to people having sex with monkeys. That's a pig, if not a dog. He was called out there on the spot. We ended the conversation. The elder that was with me, I just stepped back because I'm like, this is a guy's sick. The others with me kind of handled it, shut the conversation down. Well, here's what happens. Let me tell you kind of what happens. And this is where it kind of blurs between pigs, dogs, and wolves. What happens then when a pig has his feelings hurt, what does a pig do? Wee, 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 wee. I mean, he just squeal like crazy, right? I can't do any more because I'm, I'm already struggling with a uh, coarse throat. I used to go with my grandpa. My grandpa was a pig broker at the Lancaster Stockyards. And I used to go with him and watch him poke and prod these pigs. And every time you poked and prodded them, they squealed like crazy. And all of them start squealing. That's what pigs do when you nail them. They squeal. And then what happens is the pigs come back into the, sh- into the pen, into the, into the sheep fold, and begin to squeal with all the sheep. And some of the sheep begin to take up the cause. And they start to say, yeah, that mean, terrible pastor, that horrible elder. And then they take up this cause and get very critical of the leadership of the shepherds. And that's why it is so important to get rid of them. This guy is not a part of us. Now, we would love that individual to come to repentance. That individual occupied a position of leadership here at one point. But if that individual can't repent of that sick view, we don't want them here. Because it hurts you and it damages the sheep. It's not hard. It's not nasty. It's very loving. And it's what that individual needs. He needed called out. And I could share multiple stories of this and how it's going on. But I, again, I really want to stress those. Please hear this. A lot of times that extreme behavior, it's the shepherd in the scriptures that are doing it, not the sheep. The shepherd is called to protect. Sheep don't fight for themselves generally is what I find in scripture. So again, that's kind of an extreme. I just want to mention that. Now, here's the other very, very important as we wind this thing down. Very important. When a shepherd takes on a wolf and a dog, he's protecting the sheep, but he's also evangelizing non-Christians. You say, what? This is a, if you're going to be a church, if we're going to be a church that reaches our community, that touches the lives of people that don't know Jesus, it is crucial to take pigs, dogs, and wolves on, head on. See, if evangelism to occur, sinners must be called to repentance. And oftentimes when the gospel message, the message of Jesus is preached, we focus on sinners being called to repentance, but we don't ever call the self-righteous to repentance. We don't ever call the person sitting in the church that is sitting here comfortable week in and week out who says, yeah, I'm a Jesus follower, I love God, but they live like a legalist. They live saying, hey, my good life is what gets me into it. My good life is what merits it. And it's all about them. They equally need to be called out in the message of Jesus. And we can look at those people and say, come to repentance. Aside from that, if you saw that one verse, when there are people outside looking in at the church and they say, they're okay with that sick behavior? 
we need to stand up and say, no, we're not. Actually, we're not okay with that sick behavior. There are things at times that Christians do that non-Christians would say, that's disgusting. So again, it's so important, to, I think, to do this. And sadly, a lot of gospel preaching doesn't really ever focus on that religious person who's depending on their religiosity to get merit favor with God. Mark Driscoll says it this way, true gospel preaching will not divide people into sinners and righteous, but rather into repentant and unrepentant. And I love what Jesus, as we wind this thing down completely, Jesus spoke tough, tough words to the religious And I find sometimes the church struggles with this in today's kind of politically correct world. I find sometimes we model Jesus in reverse. We pat the the legalist on the shoulder and on the back and kind of keep them happy. And we speak really graphic to the person who's the sinner. And I find in Jesus' life, the prostitute, the tax collector, the bad people of the day, he spoke gentle to. The people who were seeking him, he was kind to. And the religious leaders, man, it was ugly. And sometimes today we tend to reverse this and we stand on our Twitter pages and our Facebook pages and we condemn all the horrible things that the world's doing. What is bad, but they don't know Jesus. And it's like we put up with these people that we call Christians in our churches that are nothing more than law followers. And they don't understand the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. They're the ones. We've got to say, hey, no, 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 no. And as we do that, it actually creates a healthy church. It nurses the sheep. It strengthens the sheep. And it actually reaches our world. So again, as we just go to prayer here. Again, the question, Ephesians 4.29. If you, maybe you're still there. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Amen but only what is helpful for building theirs up according to their needs that it may benefit. Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? And as you talk to them, allow love to motivate and drive and say, I love this person and I know what they need so they can see Jesus and repent and come to his grace and mercy and grow up in that. Who am I talking to is so important as we process how we speak. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his grace and mercy. Thank you for the life that he's modeled. Thank you for so much uh, about Jesus. God, I pray for all of us in this room. The tongue is a tough thing to manage, to control, to use well. But God, when it's used well, it is so powerful. It brings such life God, I pray for every one of us here that we could use our tongues well. Help us, God, help us, all of us, to ask the question before speaking, who am I talking to? Do I love that person? Do you love that person? And how do I help that person love you? And based on that, may the words flow and follow. And at times, if they need to be tough, help us be bold and courageous and be tough. Do it with love and grace, but be tough. And at times, God, probably more times than not, as we interact with sheep, help us to be tender. Help us to be compassionate and kind and forgiving. Help us to care for our own well and not bloody them up all the more. We got enough wolves and dogs out there bloodying us up. God, how my prayer is that we as sheep can pull together and care for one another well with our words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.